With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Inside Try Show with Helen Murray. This is the podcast that takes a deeper look at the sport with in-depth interviews and special episodes to keep you entertained and inspired while you're training. Okay, and action. Hello and welcome to episode 135 of the Inside Try Show, sponsored by Resilient Nutrition, who make nutrition products to help you perform at your best mentally and physically. I'm Helen Murray, and each week on the Inside Try Show, I bring you awesome interviews from triathlon and beyond. This week, you are going to be hearing from the one and only Shemi Alcott. Now, she is more well known for her skiing successes. And perhaps if you're in the UK presenting the BBC's Ski Sunday, being on the BBC's Winter Olympics coverage, but she has actually done two triathlons. So I reckon that gives her even more reason to be on this podcast. And she is such good fun. Sharka, hello. And thank you, by the way. Shark has just signed up to be a training buddy over on Patreon. And Shark, I know that you have some very exciting adventures planned for next year. So I'm really very much looking forward to offering some advice, some thoughts on kit, dehydrated food, bamboo toothbrushes. Yeah, baby. Highland Ultra. Woo! So yeah, if you like the show as well and you want to show your support, then you can just sign up to be a patron over at patreon.com forward slash inside try show. Now, as I'm recording this, I can hear that my voice in my headphones sounds a little bit different. And that is because we went to support at Ironman UK in Bolton. I absolutely screamed my head off. My throat hurt by the end of the day, but it was so much fun. It was an age group only race this year. And from what I hear from various people who've done it a number of times, it was the toughest bike course yet. Massive, 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 massive congratulations to Andy and Hannah. I am so proud of you both. And it was just amazing to see all of your hard work pay off. Well done, George Martindale and Dee Allen. 
they won the men's and women's races respectively. Caroline, it was a lot of fun supporting you, Caroline. You're very easy to spot with your beaming smile and your stomp the pedal kit. Jack Schofield, Jack, you were on fine form. Now, you might have seen 226 photography on social media. That is Jack. I have interviewed him. That is going to be coming out over the next few weeks. We did it before Ironman UK, but we actually talk more about the photography side of things and how we got into triathlon and things. So that is a good interview coming up at some point. Anyway, Jack was second, shouted for him. He looked in pain. towards the end of the run and I had a ridiculous amount of fun yelling for crap tries Emma sorry Emma I didn't quite nail the high fives though I every time well the two times you went past and gave the high five it, it didn't it wasn't quite the you know connection I was like oh damn I'm rubbish at that anyway I will talk a little bit more about Bolton later on but the topic of racing brings us nicely to some tips from Dr Greg Potter one of the brains behind podcast sponsors Resilient Nutrition they do absolutely delicious long-range fuel nut butters and of course switched on to help combat fatigue and Dr Greg Potter knows his stuff He has a PhD in sleep and nutrition, and he wanted to share a little bit more knowledge with you about training the gut. Another key consideration is the items themselves that you're consuming. Ideally, in the event, you wouldn't consume anything that you haven't consumed in training. So you're trying to remove as many things that could go wrong as you can remove. And you might also consider things such as the the rate at which you consume those items during the training. What I mean by that is that you might find that initially you can comfortably take on board carbohydrate at a rate of something like 30 grams per hour at a given exercise intensity. Over time though, you can train yourself to take on board carbohydrate at a more rapid rate without experiencing digestive discomfort. And that's because of changes that take place in things such as the nutrient transporters that your gut uses for certain types of carbohydrate. And I think it makes sense to aim to finish your training, taking on board carbohydrate at a rate that's higher than the event itself. So if you aim to ultimately exceed the rate at which you're planning to take it on during the event by about 20% in training. So let's say that your ultimate goal is to consume carbohydrate at 60 grams per hour. 20% higher than that would be 72 grams per hour. And maybe you begin your training sessions at a rate of 30 grams per hour. That would mean that during those sessions, you're going to try and go from 30 grams to 72 grams. And if that was divided over say 10 sessions then that's not a big jump in the amount of carbohydrate you're consuming from one session to the next and that's a rate at which you should be able to adapt that carbohydrate intake what you'll need to do when you're first starting out though is work out what your tolerance is and you'll probably find that that varies based on a number of factors the time of day at which you train the intensity of the exercise and so on so there's really an art to this practice but if you can get it right then you can meaningfully improve your performance. You can get 10% off over at resilientnutrition.com. Just use the code INSIDETRY, 
10. Matt, thanks for your message. You said this was another fantastic interview. There was some great advice from Ali Dixon. I changed my e-pace run to an easy effort run. Keith, you said this was a brilliant interview. Ali Dixon is such a lovely person. And Peter, you said, awesome. She recently competed at our duathlon at Nissan Test Track. She is a fantastic runner and a lovely person. And she let us help to advertise our race by using her image. Who wouldn't want to race an Olympian? Sarah, thanks for your message. You said, I loved the Christina McKenzie interview. I am so glad I decided 12-hour TTs were silly enough. And then Mark, hello, you said, you've done your second race in a row. You said, all the fast dudes forgot to show up. It's now 18 months since my stroke. Time for this week's interview. Shemi Olcott is Britain's most successful female skier, having competed at four Winter Olympics and won a World Cup event as well. She also presents the BBC's Ski Sunday programme and is part of the team for the BBC's Winter Olympics coverage. Now, as a skier, Shemi might seem a bit of a strange guest for a triathlon-based podcast. However, Shemi oozes passion she oozes energy and she has so many lessons to share from sport. And I, there was a good reason I wanted to get Shemi on this podcast. And if you need a bit of a confidence boost for a race coming up or just if you're feeling a little bit, yeah, perhaps you're injured or you're just finding the news maybe a little bit too depressing at the moment, then listen to this. You will not regret it. Shemi Olcott, welcome to the Inside Try Show. Shemi, I am I am rather excited about this chat, I won't lie. Oh, me too, me too. I mean, I'm more excited about not talking about my two rather disastrous triathlon experiences and talk about life lessons I've learned through sport, which may be more appealing to your listeners, but thank you for having me. No, it's, it's such a pleasure because I wanted to get you on. Clearly you and I, I was going to say work together, I was more like helping, wasn't I? We weren't exactly working together at the Winter Olympics or in Salford during the Winter Olympics in 2018 and over those two weeks I was like oh my god Shemi's like a ball of energy literally a ball (laughs) of energy and then I saw you with Claire Balding during the 2022 Winter Olympics and I was so chuffed to like see you doing more basically more stuff than you had done in in 2018 and I was like I need to get Shemi on the podcast to sort of inspire everyone really. Well, well, I have to say thank you for reaching out because um, it's very easy to say, oh, that person's doing well, but you took the time to actually email me and say, hey, I thought you were doing great. And as much as you get feedback here and there, the fact that someone's actually taking time out of their day to tell you've done well, we don't do that very much because we're very busy and we think that such and such is on TV, they don't need that. But you always need that. I mean, it's still a foreign world to me. I still struggle in the green room, losing my right leg every time I walk around because I'm far too active as a presenter. Um, but I mean, you were there at the beginning. I, I was a bit raw at the uh, Pyeongchang Olympics. And I think I was a little crazy because we yes. didn't have a green room and I could walk around and do anything. And Claire loved it because I think it made her look even more of an expert and more knowledgeable. Um, but it was great that I got asked back four years later and kind of honing my skills and knowing that, you know, sometimes people don't want to see a wildling on their TV during the Olympic Games. Um, But I really, really enjoyed it. And what I'm really excited about is Milan, you know, uh, an almost European Olympics where we will be on site. Um, We won't need a green room because we'll have real mountains behind us with real snow. And I feel like that's the Winter Olympics that we've been waiting for. 
bring it on bring it on what is it actually like working with Claire Balding amazing I mean we've got she's got this look she can read me so well I mean I don't know if you remember but I'm um I'm deaf in my right ear so when I've got a studio talking to me, my left ear, they're talking to me and then Claire's talking to me and I'm talking as well at the same time. And she just needs to give me a look and I know whether I need to move to the right, I need to stop talking, I need to be you know, more authentic or, or go crazy with my analogy. And she's just, she really is an, as an empowering um, mentor to have. And, you know, I don't even know if she knows that she mentors me, but I've watched her over the years. I've always been a fan. I think she's got that incredible knowledge, but she never steps on the toe of experts. And I think people in that role think that they're supposed to know everything about everything. Whereas actually they're supposed to lead the questions where me who knows about skiing can answer and make me look intellectual. And she does that. She makes everyone else be their best. So in terms of sitting next to someone, she, I, I mean, I would never want to sit next to anyone else. Did you have to, when, when, you, when they said, you know, right, Shemi, we want you as part of the team for the Winter Olympics. Were you just like, oh my God. Yeah, I mean, you, all I ever wanted in life was to win an Olympic medal and to work on Ski Sunday. And working on the Olympics is like working on Ski Sunday with steroids because it's all the sports that I love. It's this two weeks where the energy doesn't get bigger than that in terms of world sports. So to be part of that team and to be asked to be part of that is, is such an honour and you know, I feel quite a big responsibility to to educate people because that's my one, two weeks of the of the four years where I'm talking to people who, who maybe don't love skiing or they don't know about skiing. So it's about portraying that passion and how technically interesting it is without going too far. Whereas on Ski Sunday, we know our viewers love skiing. That's why they're watching. So I can be really in depth with my technical analysis, whereas the Olympics is right. Right. I, you don't love skiing. I'm going to I'm going to make you want to have a go. And if you can get grassroots people into skiing in this country, because we do have all these amazing facilities, then then the Olympics is your time for that. Oh, well, you did a, you did a really good job of it, and I think the other thing which you did really well was that empathy. I think when when some athletes perhaps didn't mm. have the the race they wanted, and I think that's where you were like you excelled at that. I mean, I have to say, I think that the that the best thing about this uh, Winter Games is that we didn't have to just talk about gold medals because we couldn't, you know, until the last few days, we couldn't talk about success and how, you know, how these athletes are working incredibly hard and then winning because of it. We had to look at the stories. We had to feel for these athletes who are going out there and being vulnerable. And I did get a bit of stick for it because people like, well, you know, what about the gold? Actually, massive disappointment. And I was very um, passionate about talking about the other side and, and, and getting the human across. And I guess the reason I'm okay at that is because I never achieved my goals you know I wanted to win an Olympic medal I went to four Olympics I did my best but I didn't so I'm actually really proud of myself and, and the life lessons that I learned through losing and failing um, than anything I really won in the sport so those are situations that I can talk about because those athletes don't know it but those are the moments where they can grow when they've gone to the Olympics with their heart set on a medal and and not achieved that that is a strength. You can turn that around into something that will build you to make you invincible for your future. In what way? In what way? Well, um, I mean, if I say, did you have you ever reflected on a win? Have you ever reflected on something you've won? I'm just having a think. What 
no no not really you rarely do when you win you never stop and reflect and think what could I could have done better because you don't need to because you're you're the best whereas when you fail you have this massive opportunity to self-analyze and think right what could I change what could I do better how can I learn from this and I think those are the moments which just broaden our spectrum that ceiling that we put upon ourselves when we when we make mistakes we have to we have to reflect in order to push that ceiling next time so it gives us the opportunity to grow do you think that you are like mentally stronger because of those failures that you've mentioned i think i'm mentally stronger because i'm really honest about why i failed and most athletes especially downhill skiers uh, don't show vulnerability they 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 are this hard crazy person who likes to throw themselves down a mountain at 90 miles now you you can't show weakness it's a, you know the ego has to be quite high whereas I learned quickly that I have these vulnerability these fears and, and I needed to deal with them I, I say quickly it was actually it took me eight years that's not quick at all so for my I, I think and I've only realized this towards the end of my career when um, unfortunately I was so injured that I couldn't win I, I really I was skiing with so much compensation because the metal work in my body but what I realized that for eight years of my life, when I had the potential to win uh, a World Cup or an Olympic medal, I was choosing to underperform. And not many people say this, but I, I had this dangerous platform of performance at 80%. And I kept 20% in my back pocket to self-validate why I wasn't winning. And why, why I couldn't go my best was because I had this huge team around me. I was this talent ID to someone who was going to win. Um, and I couldn't handle the expectation, the pressure from everyone. So although in training I was really fast, it actually implied I was choking in a race, which I hate that word. Mm. And, I, and I couldn't rise my level. I, I, couldn't go, I couldn't risk it all because I was so scared that if I did go 100%, then I'd have to admit to this huge team around me and, and the public that I wasn't good enough. So I, so I kept something back so that I knew that maybe I could be good enough, but maybe. Um, and it was really dangerous. I had this vicious circle of, of performing, underperforming that I couldn't get out of. And then very fortunately, I put myself in a position in one race in Seoul in 2008 where I got into the second run and I had no expectations. Uh, long, long story short, but um, I didn't qualify for the second run. You have to be top 30. Um, and I was 31st so we left the hill and then one athlete got disqualified because of an equipment change and um, so I was back in and I didn't even get time to inspect the course which is incredibly unprofessional you, you never do that so I was standing in the start gate on the second round and I was like you know what nothing's going to happen from this and then no expectations full of freedom and I just charged and I had the messiest run of my life but I won the run and that was when I was like, right, I can do this. If I go all out, I can do this. Now, unfortunately, when you go all out in a sport like skiing, there's a fine line between success and, and disaster and injury. And um, five weeks after that run, I broke my ankle and then I, I had a lot of rehab and then all my injuries started happening. But it was a very much a more satisfying sporting existence because I was having the confidence to, to risk it all and go 100%. And so that is a massive life lesson, especially post-pandemic, because so many of us, we just keep a little bit back because just in case, because first of all, we're, we're a society scared of failure and scared of making mistakes. And, and that, as you've seen by even the first Olympics that we worked on together, I made loads of mistakes. I made bloopers. People love bloopers because it shows that you're a real person. And, and I think so many athletes go, no, I must be perfect. I must tick every box and every performance must be everything. But that's that's not sustainable. That's not that's not normal. That's not real. And so actually, if you start admitting to, to, to mistakes or to not feeling your very best, that's when you can learn from it.
What about confidence, Sherry? Because you said there that it, it did change that confidence. Have you always been a confident person, sort of on on the skis, but also off the skis? Um, no, I think I I think. <laughs> Oh, gosh, this is a very complex answer. But I think I used imposter syndrome as a, as a positive for a lot of my youth. I used to suffer from nerves a lot. Uh, when I was coming back from injury, I was standing in the start gate and I was like, whoa, I, I don't know if I can do this. So um, and I never told Lindsay Von this, which is weird because we're really good friends. But uh, when I was coming back from injury, I always used to act as if as if I was someone who was my idol, as if I was someone who never had to deal with, with this fear. So I became Lindsay Vaughn. Every race day, I woke up. I mean, luckily I didn't talk in American accent because my accent's terrible, but I acted like her. I performed like her. I warmed up like her. And, and I was like, what would Lindsay do? What would she think? And, and obviously, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like tricking myself by being someone else, but per performing like me. And eventually after a few races, you don't have to be her because you can believe in yourself because you've got the experiences to back up. But I think, you know, sitting there and, and being someone and channeling someone else when you're in your fear bubble and you don't believe you can get out, it is a really easy technique to get out of any of those difficult situations that you put yourself in. And you need to put yourself in them. Otherwise you can't grow. So it's kind of like, right, be someone else, be someone who wouldn't feel this. Then you learn to get out of the fear bubble. Next time the fear bubble gets smaller, it gets easier to get out of it. Eventually, you are you, and that is good enough. Have you ever been, has, has Claire been your alter ego ever in front of the camera? If Lindsay sure. wants, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, she never gets nervous. She's always on point, but she's also pretty funny and, and real. And, and I think, you know, I've worked alongside other presenters who aren't. They have a different technique. They have a technique where they have so many notes that they've got incredible stats and that's their, that's their style. Whereas Claire, She's fun. She's colloquial. She'll go off piste with her script because it makes sense at the time. And I, I really like that about working with her. What about being comfortable with who you are as a person? Oh, it's, it was a massive challenge. And especially in retirement, you know, I spent 20 years of my life chasing that Olympic medal. I defined myself as a ski racer because I have this kind of quirky name. When I called people, I'd say, I'm Shemi. And they're like, oh, you're the ski racer. So that's who I was. So when I got to the end of my career and actually my surgeon told me I had to retire because if I crash with my leg, with the metal work in as it is, then he would have to amputate from my knee down. I was like, well, but I can't quit. I can't because who am I without my sport? Who, what am I defined by if I don't have that? And actually that's why we see a lot of female athletes retiring and becoming mothers straight away because it's, it gives you another hat. It gives you a massive responsibility away from your sport. Um, but I didn't do that straight away because I really wanted to learn who I was. And I had an incredible opportunity. I went and signed up to every like challenge going out there. I did a quadrathlon up in um, the Artemis Quadrathlon in Scotland on the Monroes. I did the world's toughest ski race across the Arctic and Greenland. And I just wanted, I knew that I knew that I could handle the physical and the mental challenge, but I knew that also in that time when I retired, I still needed some, some goals because a life without goals for me was, was quite empty. And I didn't want to have that quiet time of going, who am I? And then I realized that, you know what? I, there was a life after, after racing because more than loving ski racing, I love skiing and I'm very fortunate to do a sport, which I'm so passionate about. And then to be able to present Ski Sunday and, still work a lot and mentor and, and coach in, in, in the business. And the sport is, is an amazing chance that I have all through following my, my life in sport. 
do you still need those goals? Do I still need goals? Uh, not so much. I'm, I'm quite self-motivated now and I don't need kind of the structure of a goal. I need to be active. I, I have a really unhealthy relationship with food that if I'm not active, I have a crazy amount of guilt um, and I love food. So I've got to train in order to deserve that. Now, that, that is, I think, from being an athlete and that will never go away, but it's fine because I make healthy decisions most of the time, Monday to Friday. And then comes the weekend. I quite like I quite like being a normal person on the weekend going, oh, I can have some rosé. I can I can have a drink now. Um, but it's all in moderation. But um, I, yeah, I, I think that that is a goal. You know, a goal is that I need to get out there and be healthy and active, but it doesn't have to be going to the gym. It can be surfing. It can be just I still need to push myself. So I still need to try new things. So last Christmas, I'm turning 40 this year. My husband got me a skateboard. So I've been <laughs> learning to skateboard this year. Now, I'm not trying to be cool. I just I just everyone was doing it. I was pretty inspired by the Tokyo Olympics. Um, I love surfing. And I was like, right, let's give it a go. So I think that we put quite a lot of limit in our potential because of age associated to age and actually triathlon is a great sport for this because so many people take it up later on in life and I love that about it and I love that there's such good age categories that you can go and be like at 50 I'm going to start triathlon um, and I really love the variety of skills that it tests because you can always find something to develop you know there's, there's going to be one skill in those three sports that you're not good at or for me it was like the transitions I was so bad at transition I was like grinding in each of the disciplines and then I got to transition I was like oh a little break <laughs> Oh no, I've done all that hard work and everyone's overtaken me. Um, but I think that's amazing about the sport that your, most of your listeners do. Which which two did you do, Shemi? You said you did two triathlons. So I, did, I did London, I did the Docklands and then yeah. I did Lake Dorney. Okay, okay. And then was that enough for you? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've done with this. Get me, get me my skateboard and my paddleboard and my yoga. Um, I mean, I really like open water swimming. Um, I enjoy that. And I know that's what people's least favorite discipline majority wise is. I don't love running. And so I found it really hard. And even, you know, always at the end of the bike, I would try and use the hamstrings, give the quads some break. But um, I, either I wasn't that good at cycling because we used to do a lot of road cycling for skiing because it builds up your quads and your VMOs, which protect your knees. So that is our kind of go to sport for skiing in terms of endurance. Um, now there's quite a lot more rollerblading in actually because it's a bit more specific but I just I just struggle running I just don't I don't enjoy it do you still do you still do it even though you don't enjoy it do I you like make try. yourself it? I still try I've got these big glutes so I'm a bit of a plodder um, and I don't like how my glutes shake <laughs> I'd like to like it more I'm in a really good area for for being a runner um, in southwest London but um no I don't feel like my life's missing out because I'm not a runner no that, that you just have to find the thing that makes you tick and makes you happy and gives you that headspace it doesn't doesn't matter if it's no, not exactly. running or whatever exactly and the thing is I've learned now only the last two years um having having had pain in my life the last 10 years of my competing career I every day I had pain I couldn't sleep because of pain um because of my busted leg that I've retired now I don't need to feel pain running gives me pain I can substitute the feelings I get and the endorphins from running with other things which don't cause me pain but actually I've I've, I've been very fortunate I've worked on my pain management and um, I found a CBD product that has no THC in it so it's strict because I'm still I've still got that athlete mindset like I might be drug tested today yeah yep. which is com completely not going to happen <laughs> not going to come I around I don't want to have any, you know, naughty substances at all in my body. So I found one that's stripped of that. Um, and actually my first year presenting 
Saturday, Sunday, I had to self-isolate in this bubble. And so I was solo on my own for seven weeks. It was an amazing opportunity to be filming, but obviously I missed my family. I was like, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna become flexible. I'm gonna do yoga all the time and I'm gonna get rid of my pain. And within two weeks, I had no pain. And it was kind of frustrating because I had a lot of pain for 10 years. Um, but now I've managed that pain. So maybe I could start running again. <laughs> maybe you could. Wow. And so weren't you doing like yoga two hours a day or something for something mad? Loads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't like alone time. So I was like, right, I'm going to plug into I, I went on this app called Glow and okay. they have, you know, hundreds. Of, it, it gives you a goal. So I, I like that. So I can say, right, I've got 45 minutes. I want to go hard or I've got 10 minutes and I want to you know, just be mindful. Um, but I was doing loads and I had a, a bike in my room. And I would just bike and do yoga the whole time. Wow. Yeah. And do you, do you still do a bit of yoga now? Yeah, I love yoga. Yeah. Um, I don't do it enough, um, but I really enjoy how it makes me feel. Yoga and Pilates. Um, Pilates is something that I bought in during my second pregnancy because my first pregnancy, I still had these quite like meaty abs and um, it, it made my labor horrendous because when my contractions came, I had no finesse. So my abs just contracted and then uh, Lockie's heart rate went to zero each time and it got really messy. So when I got pregnant with Cooper, I'm like, I'm going to lengthen and tone and understand where my abs are and be able to switch them on and blah, blah. And my labor was 40 minutes and super easy. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure there were other factors, but Wow, wow, wow. How, how do you juggle everything, Shemi, with like, I you don't. are, you don't? Okay. So how do you, <laughs> no, how do you drop no. all those balls? <laughs> no, I, um, you know, I try, we, we've got help. We have a nanny, uh, which is really important. I didn't used to have the confidence, although I'm a very confident person. Um, I used to try and pretend that I was doing it all myself because I grew up in an era where having a nanny was for like the very rich and I didn't, you know, I thought that was distasteful. Um, so I went back to work two weeks after both kids for Ski Sunday, but I tried to make it out that I was doing it all alone. So now I've been much more honest saying, no, I can only do this because I have a, an amazing nanny who lives with us. Um, but I, I have to work. I, I need to work. I take my hats off to stay at home parents because I couldn't do it. Like I love my kids more than life itself, but I need to go out there and train and, and work. And, and I love that because when I come back to them, I'm very present. I'm very much, okay, I've just had my time. I've just done my work and now I'm here to be a mum. And I'm, I'm very much compartmentalizing. I guess that's the athlete side of me as well. Um, but it's, it's, it's always a struggle. And now my eldest son goes to school in, in the UK and there's lovely little state school. And Dougie is um, a ski racing coach and we run a business together and I run Ski Sunday and we're like, oh gosh, we're out the country all winter. How do we do this? So, you know, it's, it's, it's an evolution, a work in progress, but that's how it always should be. What are some of the most, or like, yeah, some of the most important things to you as a coach that you try to instill in the athletes that you work with? I mean, confidence, 100%, using sport as a, as an avenue to learn life skills and, and about themselves as opposed to winning and losing. And the thing is, when, when you have these techniques in place, people will be their best and they will win. But, you know, our, our motto is, carp, is carpe diem, so seize the day. And it's about going out there and being your very best. And we do this very simple but very effective exercise every day where before we go to bed with the, with the athletes, we do three things that they've done well today, three opportunities for tomorrow, and one thing that made them laugh. Now, that is very important because... A sport like skiing which is really quite hard and can be brutal at times you've got to love it you've got to have passion it's got to make you happy 
Um, and just doing that, the, the, the gains they make from their self-confidence socially um, and in terms of just believing in themselves is huge. So I use sport as a portal to help mold incredible human beings. And actually when I retired, the first job I took was I was coaching at elite level mm. and the first World Cup we went to, we won. And I remember sitting in this room full of celebration and feeling empty. And it was strange because I was like, well, I haven't impacted this. I've, I've bought a protein shake down and done a little direction of a jump. I have not molded this athlete. They're already made. And I was like, right, okay, this isn't what I want to do. I want to work with young people. I want to get people from grassroots into the sport and then use sport for, for life skills gains. And, and, and the thing about it is 1% of them will go on to make the Olympics or even less. But as long as they all grow and become incredible human confident beings, then that's all we can ask for. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How do you, uh, other than the activity at night, right? Say if someone's listening to this, I mean, I, I'm not the best with confidence at all. Like I, I often struggle with confidence, but there'll be people maybe listening to this who have perhaps entered a race towards the, I don't know, over the summer or whatever, and they feel absolutely crap about themselves. Mm. What would you sometimes, say sometimes you can bring out your best performances. The first thing I'll say is because when you know, you know, you've been ill and you haven't done the preparation you wanted or you're not ready for it, you give yourself a bit of freedom. I actually, when, when I was at my most prepared and I ticked every box, I struggled mentally to bring my performance up to game because I knew that I should be my best. So I put all this pressure on myself. Actually, if you're feeling crap and you've signed up to something, I bet you surprise yourself by, by how good you're feeling. But other, other skills, art of imitation, like I talked about before. When you get in that start gate, forget all your preparation because the likelihood is it's not gone the way you wanted if you're not feeling good about yourself. And just let yourself be free and enjoy the process of it. When you enjoy it, you will do well. And you will enjoy it because you won't have the pressure on your shoulders because almost you don't believe in yourself. So you've got to kind of change it. You've got to manipulate your thoughts and go, but be honest. You have to be honest first. If you go, right, okay, I'm scared. We can work with that. I'm, I don't feel my very best. We can work with that. I, I don't believe I can do well. All of these things, change them, use them into a strength because that will give you the freedom to be your best. And if, if someone actually, I know you work with younger people, but let's say someone maybe 10 years older comes up to you and, you know, they've been trying with the skiing and they're just like, Shami, I, I just can't ski. You know, they can, <laughs> they're doing it, but they're just inside their head. They're like, I'm not very good at this. I'm a rubbish skier, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. How again do you turn that around and go, come on, you're awesome. Crack on. <laughs> 
So, I mean, what I found in my career is that you can have everyone telling you you're great. If you don't believe in it, then it's going nowhere. So I wouldn't say you're great. I would take them somewhere and give them a feeling where they know they're great. And there's incredible tools that we can use in skiing. There's indoor snow slopes where they're mirror at the front. So those who really lack belief, I ski next door, I can talk to them. They can see that they're changing. They can see that they're improving. And then you take a bit a step back. You go back to something in their comfort zone for a little while. So say someone's really good at red runs. Uh, so struggling with red runs, you'd go back to a green run and you'd make them feel incredible on a green run and you'd slowly build it up. And we have terrain that is, is easy to do that. So if anyone wants to see a black run, the way to ski a black run is to find a run that's steep to flat. Because if someone goes flat to steep, you have to launch yourself over it. It takes a huge amount of confidence. And a black run can, it can be any gradient in the world, but quite often those are the harder ones. So if you find something steep to flat, then your confidence goes, hey, black run, tick. I've done it because you see at the end of it, it's easy. Um, so it's kind of just like working within yourself, maybe taking a step back, feeling good and then going on. And why do you, why do you think that it is like so important to be in those positions whereby you maybe are a little bit scared and yeah. you're, you're kind of pushing your boundaries a bit? Well, the thing about fear is fear is there because you care. If you are nonchalant and kind of blasé, uh, then you're doing the wrong thing. If you're scared about what you're doing every single day is something like makes you fearful, then you're doing the right thing because you're pushing yourself, you're learning, you're getting out of your comfort zone. So we we need to tell people, we need to re-educate people on the word fear and on the word nerves and all of this, because this is great. With really little kids, when I put them start gate, I can see they're nervous and I'm stroking their tummy and like, can you feel the butterflies? Can you feel the butterflies? And then they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they put other poles over the wand. I'm like, right, those butterflies, they're going to be your dragon wings in 10 seconds. And just giving people metaphors. And that works with adults sometimes as well, where, you know, they are making that choice to change how they, how they perform. And they have, you always have the choice, the choices within you. Do you let flip block you or do you let it to inspire you to be better? Oh, Shemi, I'm, <laughs> I'm loving the wise words. <laughs> like, I don't know though as with with you obviously you were on skis like 18 months old and you've got your mm -hmm. first pair of skis do you think it's the your experience in sport that has enabled you to I guess look at some of these things in the way that you do and kind of come up with um the advice and things like that or or is it other stuff away from sport uh, yeah, no, no, definitely. 100%. It's my experiences through sport that have given me this, this vision of life. And that's why I think sport is imperative, whatever level you're at, you know, it gives you this ultimate and very quick learning curve. I mean, when you learn to ski, you fall over all the time. When you're an elite skier, you also fall over all the time. But it's about that resilience to get up and, and believe that you can do it again and do it differently. And I think that is life. I mean, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to fail at life. I, I meet kids who, who really struggle when they fail their driving test. And I think, right, okay, have you ever done sport? No, no, okay. And you see the kids who have done sport and learned to fail and learned to pick themselves up and go out there in the football field in the rain and do it all again. They've got those skills. So I think it's, and that's why as a parent now, I'm like, right, right we've got to do some sport. Oh, you don't like it? We'll find another sport. Because it, there is a huge opportunity um, for parents to get their kids into sport now that weren't the same as when I was younger. When I was younger, it was 
netball, football, that, that it was very limited. Whereas now there's all this creative style like sports, uh, dancing, skateboarding, yoga. I mean, all of this is health and mindfulness. Um, so you just have to find something that you enjoy. Oh, it's yeah, it's really, really, really true. And Shami, as I said earlier on, right, when when we were working together, you were a ball of energy. <laughs> I'm good in the daytime. Come okay. 9 p.m. 9 p.m. <laughs> I, I'm like I'm like a, a battery operated person. I switched on in the morning and I'm straight away <laughs> up. And then at 9 p.m. at night, that switch is very much off and I just tank. So, yes, I have I have an abundance of energy in a short period of time. Have you but is, have you always been like yeah. that? Like yeah. since you were a kid? Yeah. Oh. I think it's quite annoying actually for those around me all the time. <laughs> I also drink a lot of coffee. Okay. <laughs> and the coffee where I my last coffee I have is at 3:30. So probably by 9 p.m. all the caffeine's worn off and um and I don't know that that might help as well. <laughs> but you've got like this real kind of like a real say yes attitude, a real passion, I think, mm. for 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 life but also for I I think you're just like really passionate about getting the best out of others as well so I think that the um the vivaciousness that I have and the kind of gung-ho that actually comes back to something quite sad and that was my mum passing away at the Turin Olympics just after um and it was really shocking it was a big surprise you know one day she was there and one day she wasn't and I realized how precious life is and I and I lived with quite a lot of regrets after that of things that I hadn't said to my mom, hadn't done with my mum. And so now I'm like, right, I'm going to do everything as hard as I can, um, because you never know when it's all over. You never know when either your body's going to pack it in or although I saw a clairvoyant last week. He told me I was going to live till I was 93. I don't really believe in clairvoyance because <laughs> I control my destiny. But I went with a friend and she said I'm going to be 93. So I've got a lot more time to pack a lot in. Great. I'm, well- I'm going to be very tired. <laughs> Shemi, what, what else are you going to do in the next, what, like uh, 53 and a bit years? Well, I'm going to keep learning new sports. I really want to still be skiing. I think that would be so funny. Just like granny, great granny's on skis. Oh, God, look at her. Still <laughs> trying to arc up the piece. She's still cutting people up. <laughs> what else? Um, I just just to keep pushing myself, to keep having the confidence in new things. And, and the thing is, when... As I get older, that will be different. It might be, you know, learning to play chess, which I've definitely put on my radar, but not for now. You know, I've got all these things, I think. <laughs> Two decades. To keep challenging yourself. Um, and, and you know, sport's great, but there will be a time when maybe uh, it won't be sport that I can use. But I just think I, I have the confidence to do that. I, I guess also I've married younger. So he's, he's still going to be out there doing stuff. <laughs> I've got to keep up with him. <laughs> I am. Um, I, I did the... Um... Engadine cross-country ski marathon yeah amazing a few years ago right and I was like I I am rubbish on cross-country skis okay and that is an honest you said before you've got to be honest with yourself that is very honest right but you did it anyway I did it anyway and I do have that endurance and the last I don't know 2k (laughs) this older lady clearly who'd been on skis for all of her life like zoomed past me I was like that is awesome I want to be here when I'm older I've got a story like that. So in Greenland um, mm. for the Arctic Circle race, um, you do this for the whole of the country. Come, I mean, it's not really a big country. But the whole of the country come out for this race. Um, and I looked very much look at me. I dyed my hair pink. 
um, and I was wearing British Union flag boxes on top of my trousers because we were raising money for Ski for Cancer. So I was trying to like, and there was five of us called the Arctic Five. Um, anyway, they, all the press knew that I was this downhill skier trying to do it. And the first loop of this massive, massive event is, is in a village. So you go around and it's like 2K and then you go up a tiny ski slope um, and then you ski down it and it's super cute, the slope. Anyway, so we were doing this first lap. I was trying to pace myself, but also my ego was saying, be better, people are watching. Um, and as I was herringboning up this hill, this guy, he looked about hundred, overtook me. Same thing as you. <laughs> I, was, I was outraged. I was like, okay. I know I don't have the endurance, but listen, look at this guy. Anyway, so I get to the top of the hill and I see that he's struggling going down. And I go, oh, here's my time. I'm a downhiller. So I start going down, forgetting I was on these tiny skinny seas. Straight away, five meters, my skis start going out. They've got no edges. I can't bring them in. I end up doing the splits into the crowd, tearing my groin. Again, my ego's going, this is just mortifying. TV camera's there. I've got pink hair. Everyone knows it's me. Anyway, so I get up and pretend I'm fine, snot all over my face and keep going. Um, and uh, yeah, I really struggled with my groin for the rest of it. It was a really good life lesson to, to let go of my ego sometimes. <laughs> it's quite funny because I, you know, everyone kept coming up to me when we were trying to leave for autographs. I'm like, you're the girl who fell. I'm like, yes, I am actually. <laughs> I'm also a four-time Olympian. <laughs> yeah, I've done other things. But yeah, I fell and a hundred-year-old guy beat me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> does, does the ego kind of, I don't know, does it does it need controlling sometimes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it's also a strength. I think having it and trying to push myself to be better is good. I mean, when I ski now, I do not ski um, like a retired lazy athlete. I'm always like trying to still find the perfect arc. Um, and I really, really enjoy that. You know, it's fa fab that I can take something that I used to race and then do it as an art form. That's something I didn't realize in the time at the, was, I did dancing on ice and I used to be really jealous of the pros on that because they always used to be professional athletes, you know, professional ice skaters, and then they retire and they get to do some like, exhibition work. How great's that? How, oh, it'd be great if that was in skiing. And then I retired and started hosting corporate jobs where, you know, every day someone would say, would it be okay for me to film your skiing? <gasps> whoa that's amazing what is it like art like you know it was incredible that you've spent your life honing in on a skill that isn't just about racing the clock becomes about something that is quite nice to watch as well and mm. um, so that was fun definitely and like what would you, what would life be without skiing Shemi? oh nothing and, and do you know what if I didn't like it I probably would have kept going because I was the best in Britain at the time I still could have done it um, but the fact that that surgeon said to me that, you know, I'll never ski again as I know it, if I crash, it was a very easy, and you know, retirement is really hard when you love the sport as much as me. Um, I could have kept going, but I was jeopardizing the rest of my life in the sport, away from racing and with my husband who loves the sport and with it, all of our friends. And um, so it, it would be really challenging without it, which is why we need to help survive and, and heal this world that we love so much because global warming is really affecting our mountains mm. um, and it's something that I'm passionate about trying to make the right change where you can uh, because it won't be around forever this sport it will change it will only become indoors um, and that will that would just be brutal and have you have you noticed like over yeah, the, yeah I mean since you yeah. were if you've been in in the mountains since you were tiny like what have you yeah. seen over the past say 20 years I mean, I remember doing the Vallée Blanche run, which is in Chamonix. It's this famous run 
um, through the glacier. And I did it when I was 12, 13, and it was just epic. And at the end, you have to climb these stairs. Um, and I, you know, I don't remember it being that much of a challenge. And I was 12 and I hated walking up. So obviously we didn't have to walk up that far. I went back for my husband's 30th to do it again. Um, and just the whole terrain had changed. And then we got to the bottom and there was a good 20 minute walk up and you could track the glacial retreat. It says the dates. It's like, like 1995 and then 2000. And you just see, you know, it, it, it's it's really tragic. And it's something that I don't know if we can stop, but we can definitely slow it down. If, I mean, it's just it is horrible, isn't it? It's just it's scary. But I'm guessing like triathletes who do open water swimming, ocean mm -hmm. swimming, they'll have noticed it as well. The variable conditions and, um, you know, our, our winter seasons are changing all the time. Like December isn't a great time to ski, whereas April now is, is really good. I mean, it's just evolving because of the climate that we live in and, and the weather systems that have changed. Definitely. No, don't, don't ask me why. I can see you, Helen, going, well, why is that? I'm like, Claire would know. <laughs> yeah she'd be able to tell you an answer she might not know but she'd let you believe that she knew the answer um right Shami I do I do want to ask you about right you have had many many broken bones and really really kind of crappy experiences injured when you've got that race on the horizon mm -hmm. and you break your leg right yeah. yeah how do you deal with that I mean I'm, I'm pretty annoyingly positive and actually I find rehab is quite satisfying. First of all, injuries are great because you only get injured when you're pushing your body, right? You've got to push your body. To know what you're capable of, you've got to go harder than you did yesterday. With that, injuries will inevitably come, okay? When you are injured, you need to make peace with it and go, right, this is my goal. And when you're injured, the goals, the daily goals you have are incredible. I mean, when I was really mashed up and I was in a wheelchair or, or I couldn't walk for a long time, it was a goal to get out of the wheelchair and get on crutches. Then it was a goal to get rid of one crutch. And then, oh my gosh, I've actually, I've walked a step today. You're like, you know, you're a toddler going through this massive development and improvement daily. Yeah, I've gotten the pool, my scars healed. There's all these, and you've got to, you've got to, you've got to pat yourself back on those achievements. Um, but it is challenging. And, you know, you need a great support crew around you. People react in different ways. I try to stay really involved in the sport. Every time I got injured, I still commentated. I know other people who go into a hole and hide. But as you can probably tell, that's not my personality. Um, but I, I'm proud of the times I got injured. Every scar is a momentum of, of, of a, a day where I chose to, to push myself to that 100%. And as I talked about at the very beginning, that is a way more satisfying way to live than the 80% underperformer that I spent most of my, my sporting career in. And how do you, when you, when you did have the, I guess more like the bone breaks than the, the, the maybe like the niggle or the injury, which turns into something more serious. When you have that bone break and you had your season goals on the horizon and then suddenly up in smoke, how do you sort that out in your head? I mean, the thing is, you can't be a ski racer and not expect those. Um, you, you just have to be realistic and be very present in the day. And it's really hard. Like, you know, I remember watching girls at World Champs and knowing what start number I'd be. And that girl who had my start number did really well and thinking, could that have been me? But that, that, that's okay. That's healthy. That's totally. And, and you should be there, but you just can't let it dictate your, your choices that you make daily. You can't, you can't let that bitterness not drive you I mean 
being bitter sometimes can be really helpful. I remember um, a journalist saying my career was over when I had a big uh, leg crash. And I was like, well, I'm going to prove him wrong. You know, you've got to use it. Flip side. Right, I'll show you. You know, oh, you don't think I can be back from this? Here you go. Check me out now. I like that. And when you're in, when you're in the, um, uh, in the, what, oh, what do you call the um, ski start when you're in the start? <laughs> Great. Okay. <laughs> very complex it's a complex That's sport it's too hard for my brain Shemi when you're in the start <laughs> take us to that moment yeah what is what's going on in your head well this changed throughout my career okay. um at the beginning of my career I always used to try too hard so I'd be like right this is it you, you know you can do this let's be better than you've ever been before and that was a massive block for me because I would over try I would over ski I would be slow because I was trying to be 110% and I as a coach I hear this all the time I hear people saying this all the time and I hate it because the best you can be is 100% that is your very best so if you try and be better than that your performance will go down so I did that for a long time because I was like I want to be better um, so then I tried to be loose and I would say to myself loose as a goose <laughs> just really really weird but it worked it made me way, way more connected. I used to try and take my brain out and put it into my feet so that my feet Ooh. felt the run. Um, and I really like just tried to switch off the brain because the thing is you, you need your brain for inspection. You need it to execute inspection. But actually in the moment you're going downhill, the skis want to go down and you're fighting them by making the course. So if you can try and be at one, I mean, it sounds a bit woo-woo, but um, you will be your, your, your best. So the looser I got and actually I looked quite unprofessional because I would be juggling in the start gate I'd be trying to distract myself from the situation like, you'd actually take your juggling proper. yeah yeah, yeah would you take I'd, balls or would yeah, you... balls. yeah I would juggle I would juggle oh my um but when I was so when I was over trying I'd watch this epic video that I put to this video uh music from the gladiator on my phone of me skiing my best and then I go into the start and be like, I'm going to be better than that. So that, that didn't work for me. It does work for a lot of people, visualizing and, and watching your best. Didn't work for me. I just needed to not care, to just be kind of flippant about it and just, yeah, trust myself. And when you took your brain and put it in your feet, right, yeah. would that be, would that have been like two minutes before you literally had the three? Yeah, yeah, before. yeah. So two yeah, minutes yeah, yeah. and yeah, you'd like yeah. almost like do that physical process of yeah. <laughs> sort of going right from head yeah. down to feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, I mean, I think touching, doing stuff, acting it out. Um, one of my athletes doesn't believe in herself or love herself at all. So we used to kiss and touch ourselves and the start going, when I was putting her in. So I'm like, we love ourselves. This this result isn't going to make us hate ourselves or love ourselves anymore. Love ourselves. I love that. So, and you, so you have to, and I think I just, you actually do something. It took her a lot of confidence because people would look at her and be like, what is she doing? And I'm like, doesn't matter, I'm doing it with you. I'm standing here doing it with you. Shemi, that is why you're awesome. <laughs> That's funny. Because <laughs> I kiss myself. Because <laughs> I go and give myself a snog in the mirror saying, you look good today. <laughs> and you encourage others to do the same. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm going to wrap up very, very shortly, Shemi. But I also think, and you might, you can correct me, but I think you're very passionate about supporting other women as well like sort of yeah oh, again just like yeah women yeah. kind of thing and why is that uh my that was a rubbish a question no it's a really good question <laughs> it was stressful 
<laughs> my mum did a degree in women's liberation mm. and feminism. Um, and then I grew up wanting to be a ski racer. She tried to send me to finishing school. I was like, look, you, this isn't connected. You're not getting me. Um, but why I, I, I think championing other women, she always told me to go into a room and find a woman that inspires you and go over and talk to them. Unfortunately, the culture of most people is to despise them, to be jealous by them. But my mom's like, get a bit of them, you know, have the confidence to go over and take a bit of them and make yourself better. Um, and, and that's why I try and do to all women. I mean, I remember that the Olympics that we went on together, Sarah Lindsay, one of my really good friends, uh, triple Olympic speed skater, you know, she was she was fresh. She was naive. She didn't know what she was getting herself into. And she was trying to be someone else. And I and I and I knew and I kept seeing her going that was not you on TV, like be you, you are enough. And so that was my first, you know, I, I, I told her all the time, I'm like, you're amazing, just be you. And, and I really enjoyed how it made me feel to big up and empower a, a, another woman. And I think that we are getting better at it as, as, a, as a culture. We still get jealous of women who succeed. Um, but if you can look at that as someone who inspires you and to take a bit of them, then you will get better yourself. And I think it's just having a really strong mother I grew up with an environment where she was very empowering to me. Um, I was very focused on my goals as a young girl and it comes from, from her believing in me and telling me that I could do it. And that I, yeah, I was enough, I guess. And that's, that's what you tried to spread to others. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And Shemi, how, how old were you when she gave you that advice about going into the room and finding someone who inspires you? Oh, oh drilled in from me from from when I was a kid I mean she she knew how to bring out the best in other people she was if I'm loud and, and vivacious and crazy she she was that you know times 10 and um, which is why everyone always says oh it must be very sad your mom dying at 58 and I was like well she lived more in her 58 years than most people live in her life and I guess maybe that as well her not being here and me wanting to attach myself to other women like her means that they empower me to be better and don't bring out this bitterness and jealousy that mm. some others some others hold I think because the easiest thing in a room is either to be really nervous and self-conscious and not go up to that and yeah. doing that that's a total game changer oh massive I mean I've made a fool of myself a few times because come on I come on tell these- us <laughs> I mean, I see people like Jessica Annis and Laura Kenny and obviously Laura Trotnell um, and I see them on TV and I think they're incredible. And then I go to events and I go straight up to them and talk to them like they're my best mate because I know them and I see them and I recognize them. And then I see that they don't know who I am at all. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, I'm really sorry. I don't actually know you, but I want to know you. And I think you're amazing. <laughs> and actually, if you say that to women, like you saying it to me, it, it mm it made me feel great like it makes what's wrong with compliments and you're never gonna you're gonna have never have someone turn away if you give them a compliment it's true it's true we're so scared of rejection you know well show me you can have another compliment now it's been fantastic i (laughs) i have really really enjoyed chatting so thank you so much for taking the time to do it oh thank you so much for having me um and i promise that i will see your listeners on a triathlon start line one time when I have the confidence to go out there and give myself a, a good run. Yeah, we, we'll be the one, Shemi, in the start doing this. I love yeah. myself. I oh, love yeah. myself. Oh, my God, especially in a wetsuit. I mean, how cool <laughs> would that look? Oh. Oh. <laughs> 
Thanks for listening to the Inside Try Show. If you want to get in touch or get a little bit more information on anything, then reach out to Helen on Instagram or Twitter at Inside Try Show. David, thanks for your note. You said that long course weekend, you've been doing that. You said the bike was hard and hilly. What is new? It is in Wales. And you said, Helen, there were no jellyfish on the swim. However, there were really big waves and there was a massive swell. So if I was a jellyfish, I wouldn't be there either. I heard lots of good things, as always, about long course weekend, which is just a fab weekend down in southwest Wales. And I hope you had a good weekend, whatever you were doing. Ours was pretty manic, to be honest, and in a good way. I think my weekend probably kicked off on Friday for a change because I went up to Bolton to see Joanne Murphy for a coffee, which was just lovely. And I had to do a bike ride anyway, a bike session. So I figured, well, let's kill two birds with one stone. So I got a lift to the train station, caught the train for a bit, and then I had an hour's ride to get to Bolton. It was all going so nicely. Met up with Joanne, had a few coffees, put the world to right, talked about tri-commute. So watch this space. I think we're going to do a couple more before the end of the year. And then said adios. I was heading back five minutes out of Bolton, the heavens opened. I got so drenched. I was actually laughing because it was just ridiculous, the rain. It was horrible. It reminded me of Wigan last year on Land's End, John O'Groats. I just absolutely soaked through. And you know when the rain goes into your bike shoes and your socks are all wet? Yeah, it was like that. And I got to the train station and I had to strip down to my bra on the platform because I was so cold. Um, and yeah, I just had to strip down to the bra, put a warm long sleeve top on, sit on the train. And then I had about 40 minutes the other end to get home again. And it took me 20 minutes to get feeling in my hands. So yeah, great trip to Bolton, but uh, I did get a little bit cold. Uh, and then a Saturday morning, we volunteered at Park Run. That was all, that was all good. I, I do like volunteering. And I met a guy called John who is 84. And John told me his whole life story while we were marshalling. But you know what? was quite a good life story so I didn't really mind that and then on Sunday we joined our old tri club mates from Nuts of Tri Club to do some mega mega cheering at Ironman UK in Bolton. I love racing but I really really enjoy supporting as well. You don't quite get that same buzz as you do when you know you've crossed the finish line and you know you've been training for something for, I don't know, nine months, a year, two years. It's like it's been the target, the goal. So you don't get that. You don't get the following day, all the pain and the doms and that elation. But just watching people, watching the faces of elation, emotion, that is emotional and it really does get you. And you get to the end of the day supporting and you just feel drained so we went to one spot on the bike where competitors came down a hill and then pretty much had to do a dead turn at the bottom and then head back up the hill and it was absolutely terrifying watching how fast some people came down that hill it was horrible like I couldn't watch and you'd hear some people at the bottom like going oh damn it in the wrong gear and real kind of change up the gears and just like clunk and you think oh god someone's fallen but I didn't see it. I didn't see anybody fall, but it was horrible. <laughs> that area was horrible to watch. It was good. It was fine seeing people go uphill, but yeah, watching them go down that hill, thinking, "Oh my God, you are going so fast!" And there is a dead turn at the bottom. That was not fun, and I don't think I'm the only one to say that. And then we went into town to cheer on during the run, and you. God, you see it all, don't you? You see like the look of death, you see the pain, you see the snot, you see the sick, don't want to know what else you do. 
And I was wondering, have you ever supported a race and been so inspired watching it that then you've entered it maybe the following year or something like that? Because I just think if you don't get inspired or you don't feel anything watching an Ironman, watching others go through the pain locker, I think there's something... But yeah, I think it's just human nature, isn't it? That watching other people do that is incredible. And even me, I'm like, there's bits of it I'm watching and I think, oh, I'm so glad I'm not doing that today. Like, so, so glad. And then it always gets me watching on the run. I always think, oh yeah, I'd quite like to be out there now. (laughs) But anyway, I'm not signing up to Bolton for next year. It's all good. I am not doing it. So no panic there. But let let me know if you have been in that boat that you have been supporting and then Oh, it's got you. Yeah, I'm doing that next year. And Scott, I am so sorry. I missed you completely. I was trying to look out for the blue and the orange on the bike. I was trying to look out for the blue kit on the run. Completely missed you. So, whoops. Yeah, and there we go. Oh, one final thing. Annoying woman in the pool. She was getting in as I was getting out today. So I think I timed that to perfection. Thank you so much to Super Sponsors Resilient Nutrition and as well to my awesome patrons who enabled you to get this podcast week in, week out. You can get 10% off everything over at resilientnutrition.com. Just use the code InsideTry10. Comfuel.co.uk, they were there at Ironman Bolton. They were representing the Merton brand and they will give you money off with the code InsideTry. So if you're after a variety of goodies, head over to comfuel.co.uk and then you can get 10% off sun cream as well and skin protection. Use the code InsideTry over at lifejacketskin.com. That is it for this week. Happy training. Good luck if you're racing this weekend and we will catch up again next time. Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.